podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists, and we have a special guest today. Welcome to episode 163. Today, we're going to talk about the lessons that we've learned from running businesses over the years. And uh, because we're going to talk about business today, I thought we would bring in a special guest. Now, now, Jordan, we don't do interviews. Right. What we do is we bring people in occasionally and have them help us answer some questions. Right. I thought you'd be the, the perfect guy for this because recently you left a business that you started. And we get a lot of questions from folks about starting a business. And so in a weird way, you didn't re- well, you restarted. Yeah. It wasn't started. In a way, it was starting from scratch, but bringing forward the knowledge you already had. Yeah, yeah. And it was traumatic and everything along with it. In fact, it was right across the street. Okay. Yeah, oh, wow. which is kind of funny. Yeah, so so yeah, we're, we're in Los Angeles right now and, and your business, you, you ran, uh, the most popular thing was the podcast, Art right. of Charm, which yeah. I think you did for 11 years. I did it for 11 years. And now I do the Jordan Harbinger show, which is like the follow through, I don't know what you'd call it, the reboot of the that. The spinoff. The spinoff, yeah. <laughs> well, and obviously, the more popular spinoff. <laughs> anything changes. you know. <laughs> <laughs> and anything changes over time. So what I, what I noticed with the Art of Charm is it became this interview format show and you're a really great interviewer thank you um and and so we don't we're not good at interviewing so what we do is we just have <laughs> folks show up and answer questions in fact usually it's just it's like the ryan podcast and i'm a guest sometimes and then it's the that josh podcast tr- and he's a guest sometimes yeah, um but but can you talk a little bit about the the restarting before we dive into those questions you you had built up this sort of empire uh yeah. that was hard to let go of i i assume it was yeah so i built the art of charm my old show and my old business for 11 years and it it started off just like you'd expect from the name where it's about like going out at and disclaimer i started it when i was like 26 so it was about going out and meeting people especially the opposite sex and it was great and then i turned 31, 32, and I was like, this is getting pretty played out. And then (laughs) I ended up meeting my wife and getting married, and I was like, this is just kind of sad at this point. So I started interviewing athletes, generals, military people, entrepreneurs, really getting into the interview game and really enjoying that. And my business partners were not crazy about that at all because mm. they were like, "Let's talk about picking up girls." And I was like, "Hey, we're pushing forty. It's pathetic." So wait, so <laughs> so this is this is something new. This some behind the scenes. You were getting constant sort of pushback, yes, from your business partners, and that that thankfully didn't come out in the podcast. You were able to sort of leave that behind the right. turmoil of the everyday dealing with each other, but. It sounds like there was a lot of tension going on in the background. I'm, I'm there sure, was. I'm sure it made it, things difficult to operate the business. There was, yeah. I actually had to move away from Los Angeles. I moved up north to San Francisco because I just couldn't even... This It's so funny how clear this all was going to play out in hindsight, right? Mm-hmm. I couldn't even be in the room because it would be like, oh, we should do this continuity thing where everybody pays a dollar and then they forget about that it's on their credit card. And I'm like, guys, I don't want to do business like this. Like, this wow. is weirdly, like, not not just sort of internet marketing smarm, but just kind of like the ideas that were being tossed around, which thankfully most of which we never did, were kind of like, in my opinion, unethical. I'm mm-hmm. I'm pr- a lot like you guys, where I'm like, 
let's create something great that people want to pay for and not be like, let's hope they forget that we have their billing information. Like, <laughs> right. that's just gross. Yeah. Let's, you know? forget the, let, let's have them forget that we're like constantly reaching into their wallet, grabbing a dollar a month from right. them <laughs> and not adding any value whatsoever. It, exactly. And it, and it, that stuff just made me feel gross. And, and you guys yeah. and I are the same way in which podcasts are free, as everyone listening knows. So I'm not like, how do I screw over the list? I'm trying to give them everything I have of artistic or or intellectual value as free as I can make it before I actually go completely bankrupt and run my own ship into the ground. And then on the other side of the coin, it was like, how can we squeeze every last drop out of everyone who's listening? And, and so those, as you can imagine, those values did not align at all. That, right. that kind of thing, I had to get away from it. But the reason I didn't leave right then, because people are going, why the hell did you even stick around? The getting, and this is not shameful to admit because it's very just realistic, the getting was so good, mm -hmm. right? Like the advertising, we were doing really cool stuff that people did like and we were all getting paid a lot. And I was like, I can't leave. I'd have to start over like I did when I was 26. What am I going to do? I have, mm -hmm. oh, I'm married now. Like, how am I going to, how could I possibly start over? And then that choice was made for me because I started to negotiate an amicable split from my old business partners because they wanted me among other things to co-sign a loan and I was the only one that had property and I'm like I'm not letting you guys spend my money for my house car wife family future kids like you've already shown that you can't run a, a business mm. I'm not si I'm you guys have an Xbox and a dog I'm not signing over my house <laughs> so that started a greater conflict <laughs> you imagine I'm, I'm gonna put up my Xbox as collateral my dog yeah. is collateral yeah well, man this is gonna be a great show because I mean a lot of these questions revolve around people uh, whether they're starting business or they're trying to do something for their business or if they're trying to leave their business mm -hmm. um, I, I mean I think the, the the two main things that we're really gonna get out of today's uh, podcast is one how Helping people understand how they can take that leap. What does it take to get to that point where you can look at this thing you've built and you can you can walk away from it? And the other thing too is, what do we do when we do start uh, finding our business is out of uh, alignment with our with our values yeah. and or, or our beliefs for that matter? Yeah, and I think that you know, it's funny the the starting over. There's a big fear thing there, right? Mm. So so Jordan, you were afraid of of walking away. I remember yeah. I had this dream last year. Um, and it's one of the, the most memorable dreams I've ever had. I, I, uh, I had a dream within the dream. It was very Inception-like. Wow. Um, uh, very impressive. I, so I know, right? You can't even be a minimalist in your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I woke up in, in the dream, and I was like, like, none of this whole minimalism thing happened. Ryan and I didn't walk away from the corporate world. We were still in the corporate world, which is a nightmare, actually. Wow. It's a nightmare within a dream. Um, and we, we didn't walk away, but I woke up and I told you the whole thing. Like, Ryan, like... Uh, we, we started this website and then there was this podcast and we did a documentary and, and we were on social media and like we were helping people live a more meaningful life with less. And I'm the real stressed out one of the duo, as you can tell. Ryan's the real just calm, laid back. Anything can happen to him. And in the dream, he goes, oh, don't worry about it, man. We can just do it again. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> it was like this most profound thing, but it applies exactly yeah. to your situation. It does. You can walk away and do something that is in, uh, that is in al alignment with your values. Now, here's the thing. Maybe at one point in time, what you were doing did align with your values. But over time, you realize that your values, your beliefs, your interests, your desires change. Mm -hmm. And so what we are clinging to is a sort of past version of ourselves quite often. And if we can't, if we can't change within the context of that, within the business, then maybe it's time to move on. 
That's absolutely correct. Your business should, or your career, whatever, you don't have to own your own business. It should evolve with you. So if, and you hear about people getting stuck in jobs and they're like, oh, I've just outgrown this job. But very few people say I've outgrown this business that I started myself. Mm -hmm. Because usually our business is able to evolve with us or hopefully our business is able to evolve with us. But if you have other people in the mix, you're going to grow at different rates. And this happens in relationships too. I mean, anybody who's been in a relationship and had to break off with somebody because their values change. And I know that you guys have gone through this at least, and especially you, because you were on my old show before Mm -hmm. and we talked about this. You have to be able to evolve. And if somebody is kind of reeling you back in because of their values, whether it's a business or a relationship, you've got tough choices that you have to make because you can't really tow other people along that easily. Mm. You can't really go, hey, I want to interview amazing people that are going to help people with their career and in their life and in these other ways. You guys all have to change. If they're rowing in a different direction, you're going to be miserable. Mm. And even if they're giving you enough leeway like I was with my old show to do whatever I wanted, Mm -hmm. they're still going to try to reel you back in once they see that, hey, we could make more money if you just did something you hated. Especially my situation was unique but not unique. You know, my face and my name were at the forefront of the company. So if there was an embarrassing branding choice made, I was the one who had to deal with it. It wasn't them. They get to cash the checks just like everyone else. Mm. But I was the one who had to walk around being like the pickup artist guy at age 35, which is just sad. assumed you were responsible for those changes. Mm. Of course. And and I think that's that's something to to keep in mind. I remember we had this gal in Dallas, right? We we did a a tour last year. And uh, she came up. She said, well, I have to... She's like, I don't want to, but I have to have ads on my website. I'm like, well, if you want to have ads on your website, it's fine. But she you know, had all these like Google pop-up ads and stuff. And, and she goes, I really don't want to, but I know I have to. I'm like, well, that that's your problem is thinking you have to continue right. to, do, to mm-hmm. do something that you don't want to do. If you want to do something, then fully embrace it. But but sometimes we 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 make these little sacrifices. I remember what you told her, Ryan, when when she was like, well, I, I'm going to sacrifice this one little value. But then, of course, that starts to snowball. And then mm-hmm. 10 years down the line, you've made all these decisions that are no longer in alignment with the person that you wanted to become. I can see how that slope is very slippery so in that example it's well i i'm in this job i don't like so i'm going to start a side hustle well in order for the side hustle to be profitable i have to have ads on my website for example right well if i get rid of the ads then i have to work more at this job i don't like and then so there's all these weird choices that start compounding and then suddenly you feel like you're in prison when really you just made a choice to shut that door shut that door shut that door lock that window lock that other window Mm -hmm. and then you go look This wasn't me. Look at my circumstances. Uh And I was in the same boat. I was like, I can't start over. Mm -hmm. Well, I could have. It just would have been hard. And I didn't want to go, oh, my gosh, look at all the work I have to do. I wanted to go, look at what everyone's doing to me. Poor me. Mm. I'm stuck in this situation. It'll be fine. Let me go get a burger or whatever and just put it out of my mind. And then when I started really clashing with my partners and we, and the whole deal fell through, the amicable split fell through, and I just got locked out of everything, oh. which is now a lawsuit and everything like that, because, of oh, course, wow. you can't just lock me out of everything. Yeah. Um, but then I had to start over, and I went, oh, okay, now that this choice has been made for me, I'm going to feel sorry for myself for like 15 minutes. Then I'm going to call all my friends and find out what the hell I can do to get out of this mess. Now I'm in a better place than I ever would have been had I stayed at the old company. The Jordan Harbinger show is more popular than the old show. But I never would have found that out because I didn't have the guts to go, 
maybe I should crack open this door and walk through it and see what happens. But I understand why people don't do it because it's freaking scary. Yeah. Well, it's also easier to go with the flow too, man. Yeah. But the problem with going with the flow is, well, you eventually end up at the falls. Yes. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, we've got some questions today. How about we hop into these and we'll, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about, well, the business lessons we've learned about starting a business, etc. Our first question today is from Johnny in San Francisco. I just had a question as to what you guys see as a minimalist business. I've been running a uh, catering slash farmer's market for the past, um, uh, farmer's market booth for the past three years. And I'm wondering um, what you guys think about expansion and taking on debt to expand a business that you are very passionate about. I am also passionate about other things outside of life, uh, outside of uh, the restaurant life, so this is a good thing to um, be flexible and um, travel as well um, without a commitment of a brick and mortar. Um, but uh, to make a living from this, I have to work part-time and do the food booth part-time as well. It's not something that can sustain us for a long period of time without supplemental income. You know, I think that Johnny is doing something important here and he's realizing something important. He's asking some good questions here. And I'll say bravo for starting your own business and not trying to take the giant leap of starting a, well, I, I need, I must do this brick and mortar thing right away. It's not to say that that's the wrong thing to do. Ryan and I actually own, own a coffee shop or, or we're part owners of a coffee shop down in St. Petersburg, Florida. It's a long story, but, um, uh, and it is a minimalist business for sure. And, and the aesthetic is minimalist, but also the way that we run it is minimalist. So he, Johnny's asking, how do I run? run a minimalist business, it kind of depends on what you, what you mean by that. Do you mean like aesthetic minimalism? Or, or in his case, I think he's meaning like the, the financial side of things. Mm-hmm. Now for me, he talked about the being passionate about this business. Yeah. And I think that debt can totally kill your passion. Oh yeah. And it limits your freedom too. Yeah. Because if you go, all right, we took on this debt. Well, actually I'd love to do this other thing. Or like, maybe I'd like some free time or maybe we want to have kids. Well, can't do that. We owe $350,000 to the bank for this restaurant or this storefront. And you become indebted yeah. to a, a particular lifestyle or, or work. Well, now I have to work 80 hours a yes. week. Or I, I have to do this as opposed to where you're at right now, Johnny, is I get to do this. I get to do the catering. I get to do the farmer's market. So if I'm defining a, a minimalist business, for me, three things stand out. And I think debt can be maybe the fourth thing here. Uh, you, you strive to be debt free. I'm not saying it's impossible to run a minimalist business with, uh, with debt. It just makes it a, a bit more difficult. Ryan and I don't do debt at all in our personal life or in our business life but uh, i could see there are some scenarios where you might take on you know you're buying a building or something yeah i I will always stand by uh, there is no such thing as good debt i mean Mm -hmm. it's it's funny because we say this all the time and people will like send this this really long email like well you know it's basically if you have a lot of money like they'll give the example of mark zuckerberg who bought a you know 50 million dollar house and put it on a loan because he got a three percent interest rate but he can collect you know seven percent year over year on average with the stock market and it's like yes okay if you have millions and millions of dollars maybe in that scenario uh, it might be smarter to take out a loan but for all intents and purposes everyone listening to this I mean yeah. there is no such thing as good debt and by the way functionally he doesn't even have debt then That's he right. just has the money somewhere else <laughs> yes. that's right if, for a guy like that he could it, that house could implode and the insurance company could go, well, look, we are out of business. We can't pay you. And he would go, oh, all right. And his life wouldn't change at all. He'd right. be annoyed. He'd be, <laughs> right. Right? But if your storefront it gets evaporated 
and you didn't have insurance on it and you still owed that debt, it would crush your life and your yeah. well-being and you would never, oh, you would take a long time to recover from that. Yeah, a long sure. time. So so three things that, that define a minimalist business to me. One is your actions or the actions of the business align with the values of the business. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a entrepreneur, solopreneur, it's probably the, your values as well. In fact, your business's values shouldn't be different from your own values or at least appreciably different. Um, so that, that's the first thing. The second thing is I think every good business solves problems. And, and quite often, people people go the other way around. It's kind of what you were talking about earlier. It's like, hey, um, what sol- we have a bunch of solutions. Let's find the problems. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, the one solution was let's take a dollar from people every month. and Just silliness, yeah. yeah. And, and so we, I think every good business or every good creative even helps people solve problems. And the third thing that defines a, a minimalist business for me is it grows only when it makes sense. Mm. I think we're often told that like uh, unlimited growth, we need to grow, grow, grow no matter what. Um, that that can be irresponsible. I mean, th- there are types of bad growth. You know, a, a, a tumor is a type of bad growth. And we don't want that in our business, obviously. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I think about, you know, being a minimalist, it's, it's you know, it's not about just being a monk and shaving your head and like, having <laughs> well, nothing. You, I mean, you it's certainly like, haven't shaved. Yeah. <laughs> Neither of you guys are no, interested in that. No, no, no. And, and that's because, you know, Josh and I, we're not really concerned with the amount of items that people own. It's more about are people living deliberately because mm-hmm. we live in such an impulsive society, especially with all the advertisements we see and the pressures from society and success. We got to be successful. I mean, we have all these things that really uh, make us not, not be so deliberate deliberate so with johnny here you know yeah man i would say if you can avoid debt johnny avoid the debt Mm -hmm. now there are some debts that are better than others uh you know payday loan is going to be much much worse than 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 a you know a seven-year fixed mortgage i mean there, there are definitely better better uh debt there's better debt to get in than others so i mean if johnny has to get into debt um I don't know, man. What, 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 how could we help Johnny reason to get in debt? I mean, is there a reason, I guess? I, maybe that's a better quality well, question. It goes back to that, that gal in Dallas, right? Like, if Johnny has to get in debt, then maybe he's lying to himself. Mm. Yeah. Or it has to materially affect in a positive way, and this is just my opinion, mm-hmm. his quality of life. So if he hates that he has to work part-time and the bottleneck is his personal time and he would love to run a brick and mortar business and he thinks that's going to be great but he would need a loan to do it that's something to consider but if he's just going all my friends say that I should grow this business and or I feel humiliated having to work part time mm-hmm. then we're talking about ego issues definitely not a good reason to borrow $300,000 from chase right it, it yeah. reminds me of this this parable you guys have probably said this a thousand times on the show so stop me if you have there's this guy this executive flies down and there's a guy fishing and he goes out and fishes and he goes hey if you just worked a little harder you, instead of just fishing all day you could buy another boat and then you could buy another boat and then everybody else could be fishing all day and you could work a couple of years of 80 hour weeks and then you'd own the company and then you could just retire and fish all day and the guy's like yeah, that's what I'm doing, right? right. <laughs> and I sort of butchered this parable, but the idea is people work really, really, really hard and they're ending up doing the exact same thing in retirement as they could do now. Yeah. The difference, of course, is if he hates what he's doing now because there's elements that he could get out of with a couple of years of hard work and a little bit of debt, then yes. But if you're if you're just praying that the stars align and you don't fail, which is what a lot of brick and mortar food or restaurant businesses are, you're just rolling the dice and it's it can be really dangerous because then you have the debt 
but then you're working three part-time jobs and you're doing the farm cart and you don't get to keep the money. It's going back to Chase. Yeah. Well, according according to Forbes, I, I was just reading this recently in, in preparation for this, there's uh, when 90% of businesses fail in, in the first five years. And we, we hear this similar stat all the time. And that that is, I think, both bad news and good news. Yeah. Uh, the good news is if you fail, you can move on, start something else. Um, the The good news is that a lot of other people are failing and you can learn from their lessons as well. Yeah. Um, and, and so if you look at, at people who have I, m- taken whatever template, you know, the, the farmer's market thing, or if you wanted to start a, a brick and mortar store, you can look at that template and say, what have people done well? What have people done poorly? I remember when I first left the corporate world, I was 30 years old and it was after 12 years in telecom and I managed 150 retail stores. Oh my gosh. Which, which I know is really ironic with the whole minimalism well thing. yeah i mean this is huh. pre-minimalism right? <laughs> absolutely yeah. and, and well toward the end of it as when i first when i first embraced minimalism ryan and i were both in the corporate world working at the same telecom company and uh i realized like this didn't align with the person i wanted to be and i just wanted to go write fiction i'd written fiction throughout my 20s that was the thing i wanted to do and i had people at work like when i when i finally decided to quit i put in several months notice had a whole transition plan and people came up to me and said, but where, where are you really going? Like they thought I was going to a competitor oh, or something, funny. right? Because take me with you. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I can't, I'm just going to go right. And, and I had more than one person say, you know, if ever, if anyone could just quit their job and be a writer, everyone would do it. And I'm like, you realize there are some people who make a living from writing, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this isn't <laughs> the first time this has ever happened. That's right. And, uh, but what I realized is that there is a template. People earn a living from doing what I wanted to do. And I could find several different recipes, tweeze out the ingredients that work for me, learn from other people's failures. And that's because a lot of people do fail along the way to success. And so maybe we can talk about some of the, the failures that, uh, that, that you've gone through, Jordan, in, in the past that have gotten you to the successes that you have right now. Yeah, I think every time I think something is successful and then I look back at it later, I'm like, well, there's a little asterisk next to it where it's like, <laughs> that didn't quite work out the way I wanted it to. And I'm not one of those everything happens for a reason type of guys, but I am one of those you can take a lesson from anything type of guys. Yeah. So when I look back, it, it makes it, that's a good idea, by the way, because it makes it really hard to regret stuff. It mm. makes it really hard to regret stuff if you focus on the lesson that you get from things, yeah. which I know is easier said than done, because this isn't a fortune cookie where you can just be like, oh, there's a lesson in everything? Good. I don't feel bad about any of my decisions now. <laughs> I mean, I wish that were the case, but when I look back at, let's say, starting a business that was focused around dating and relationships, that was not the ideal business for me to start because I quickly lost interest in that. And what I was really interested in was human behavior. Mm. But starting a vaguely human behavior related business was not really something that was going to work for me. But I, my biggest quote unquote failure is probably the idea that I went to college, tried to get a job at Best Buy, couldn't really get a computer repair job. They wanted me to sell CDs. And I was like standing next to a life-size cutout of Britney Spears and just being like, what happened to my life (laughs) after a four-year degree from the University of Michigan? And then I went to law school because I thought, well, the the solution to this problem is more education, (laughs) which speaking of debt is basically the same thing. Going to law school or grad school in general because you feel like you don't have enough education and not because you're interested in the topic Mm. is the worst idea but it makes sense if you look at our parents generation because half of them or more than half probably didn't even go to college so it was like hey if you go to college you're going to get a great job well if you extrapolate from that if you go to grad school you're going to get a better job than people who just went to college who are going to get better jobs than people who just went to high school now though 
the part they don't tell you, grad school at a really top school is probably like $150,000 for three years. <sighs> so that, speaking of limiting your freedom, I was like, I don't even want to be a lawyer, but I'm going to get this great legal education. And then towards the end, I got job offers from Wall Street. And I was like, no way, man. I'm going to do my own thing. I might work for the government because then I can go travel and do all this cool stuff. And it's like, here's what you're going to get paid from the government. Here's what you're going to get paid on Wall Street. Oh, and by the way, your level of debt if you work for the government, you're going to pay it off in 87 years. And if you work for Wall Street, you can pay it off in like five years. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it was like, oh, cool. Well, I'm only going to work on Wall Street as long as I need to. And then you start doing the math and you're like, four years when you're 27 is a long time. Yeah. And you keep going and you keep going. And I'm not, this is not news for you two guys from coming from corporate. You get these golden handcuffs. And I, I luckily avoided this because the economy took a huge uh, dive. Yeah. But guys that had started a couple years before me, they're working on Wall Street and they're like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to get a boat because that boats are cool and I'm really bored of my job and I can then go to this boat every weekend. And then they're like, well, I should just get a house in the Hamptons and park my boat there. Mm-hmm. And oh, and then I'm going to get married and have kids. And well, my wife doesn't want to take a lifestyle hit and she's, you know, she's taking care of the kids. So you got these, we call them golden handcuffs because it looks like your life is awesome. But then if you wake up one day and you go, I am sick of this corporate BS, then you go, well, wait a minute, two mortgages, a boat, two kids. I've got to take care of my family. And that's if you were responsible, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine yeah. the guys who just bought a bunch of shoes. Like mm-hmm. those guys are totally screwed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? they, got, they got no assets. Remember every time someone in our, uh, that worked with us, when they would get a house, <laughs> Or they would get a car like our boss. Yeah. He would be like, yeah, "Yeah, keep keep getting buried in debt yeah. because he knew that he could treat that person worse. He mm-hmm. could put them through the ringer mm-hmm. because they were beholden to to that paycheck to pay all the, the right. debt payments. Hey, like, you're getting overtime. You're getting overtime. Everybody's getting <laughs> right. overtime. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I remember overtime. The, right. the flagship <laughs> store. The flagship store that uh, you managed at one point in time in, in Centerville, Ohio. Um, I pulled up once. I was uh, at the time I was a regional manager for like 16 stores, and I pulled up in my Lexus um, and I won, yeah one of two and uh, and I pulled up and I, there were two Hummers a Corvette yeah. and a Mercedes and these were all frontline retail employees yeah what I know right Aren't, now, weren't Hummers like uh, 70 grand yes, back in the day yes. yeah absolutely yes. what on earth is going on here uh, well right uh, uh, massive amounts of unsustainable debt is what oh, was okay. going on yeah, I'm they're like there. they're like I made a, a few good commission checks I can prove that I can afford the debt payment on this thing right and, and this was also at peak insanity um, peak insanity being like well um, we can stretch this to a 63 month term and you can afford to pay the you pay for this hummer with your retail job as long as no other emergency ever happens in your life over the next 63 months then you'll own this hummer three months (laughs) and they do the months thing because every number after 12 you're like okay right right? you're like that's a year and then you're like wait holy crap (laughs) might as well be 100 months yeah Yeah. right my kids are gonna be driving this thing yeah exactly and and so uh, the one other stat that's worth talking about our our friend tk coleman he's doing these uh these series that's sort of a, a, against the arguments. Uh, I think he calls it the bad college argument tour. He's going out to like colleges and and like dealing with people's best objections about why why should you get into debt to go to college? And, and there are some you know good objections out there. One is like, well, the people who, on average, people with a, 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 as you just said, people with a degree earn more than people without a degree, sure. which is true on average, but it also conflates 
causation with correlation there. Yeah. But the other thing is, I think the stat was 71% of people with graduate degrees are currently underemployed. Mm. Oh, sure. Yeah. And so you, you now you have $100,000 worth of debt and you're doing a job that didn't require the degree that got you into $100,000 worth of debt. It's probably because 99.9% of graduate schools don't train you for an actual trade, right? That stat I obviously made up. But think about this. <laughs> if you have a PhD in statistics you might go to work for a firm that does you might become like an insurance executive or something like that but probably you're going to start off doing something that somebody who has a BA in English is also doing right. and I might you know whatever if I got that particular subject area wrong fine replace it with any other graduate school subject area that's not engineering computer engineering law medicine or something that readily prepares you for an actual job so if you're going to be a doctor yeah, you got to borrow some dough, but you're going to be a physician. You're going to get employment somewhere. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you're going and you're like, I just really love, I'm trying not to say English, but that's the first one that comes to mind that is quote unquote useless. Mm -hmm. You're going to end up with the same job as somebody else who just has a basic college degree in almost every case, unless you are really crafty. And, yeah. and, and the reason that we get there is we're told that, well, well, in order to be successful, you need to go to college and get this underwater bubblegum chewing degree right. and now here's now you can chew bubblegum underwater and now you can be a barista <laughs> right <laughs> yeah and, and that's where we end up and then you start looking like like where johnny is right now and you say uh okay i in order for me to feel free I'm, i need to start my own thing mm -hmm. i need to have I, I want to do my own thing because of the job that i'm working it's no it's no longer fulfilling it's not satisfying and i guess the last bit of advice i would have for johnny is um it, part of it has to do with a plan, but you've already figured out what direction you want to go in. Mm -hmm. Now the question is, how can you get there and still make it something that you love doing? Yeah. Uh, a few months ago, Ryan, we did a, a podcast episode with uh, Paul Johnson from uh, a band called Canyon City and one of our favorite musicians. And he actually opened up for us this summer on tour. And one of the things that he did is he messed up uh, when he first moved to Nashville to do music. He signed this big recording contract and started doing like all these jingles for Coca-Cola and stuff. And well, I mean, it was like it's not too bad. Yeah, and he finally made it, man. Like he yeah. had, you know, someone offering him money. He's a paid musician, so yeah. that was his goal. Mm -hmm. And that's and yeah, he hated it. And yeah. it turned the thing that he loved into this thing that he hated because he was now beholden. Jobs will do that. Yeah. 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 You turn your hobby into it. People are always like, then I can be a professional X, Y, Z. And I'm like, ooh. That's a really good way to kill your passion. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Really, really good way to destroy the thing that you, the one thing that you enjoy <laughs> doing in the world. So, yeah. so maybe to sum it up is I think a minimalist business never puts money first, yeah. but also we have to keep in mind that money is going to be part of the equation. We'd be lying to Absolutely. ourselves if you're running a business saying, I don't need to, to make money. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. It's just when it becomes the primary driver for doing what we do, that's when it kills our creativity, it kills mm -hmm. our passion, and it kills our life. Yeah. I, I really like what you, what you said, uh, the advice you had for Johnny is like, ask himself why he wants to open this yeah. up. Why does he want to take out this debt? And then Josh, to your point about does this align with the person that he wants to become? So Johnny, ask yourself why it is that you want to grow your business and does it align with the person that you want to become? What I'll say though, I mean, no matter what, I mean, whether Johnny takes out debt or not, I hope he can avoid it. But regardless, as long as he has, uh, as long as he has a plan, and as long as he's working in that plan and it doesn't uh, go against his, his values, I mean, he's probably on the right track. Yeah. I think one last tip, if I may, is 
do not quit that part-time job that you have, Johnny, until you're the bottleneck in whatever it is and you can't outsource anything else. Because there's this mm. trend among entrepreneurs now and their YouTubers and Instagrammers that are like, quit your job, go all in. And I'm like, wait a minute, did you follow that advice? First of all, probably not. <laughs> Secondly, why do that? You're burning the ships for absolutely no reason. You're adding a ton of stress. What, so you can tell your mom, like, look, I'm a full-time entrepreneur. I don't even have a regular job now. Mm. Fine. Why, though? Right. Why? You're just adding stress. Keep that part-time job because yeah. if, if things go downhill and you hit a slow season or, oh, my gosh, the supplier screwed us over and now the money's gone and we're waiting for them to refund it but we didn't get the product, you can probably scale up those part-time hours and survive and you don't have to worry about it. People go, oh, I'm quitting my job. What are you doing all day? Well, I have social media to take care of. I've got this to take care of. If you work at Taco Bell and you're making 15 bucks an hour, fine, quit your job, do it yourself. If you have a job that's paying you a decent wage and it's not killing you, like literally, mm -hmm. keep it and then hire someone else to do that social media, which by the way has like zero ROI for your business. Absolutely. And then have them do it. And then when you find that you just can't outsource anything else anymore because it's the amount of finite energy that you have to do whatever it is you specialize in. Mm -hmm. You know, it makes sense for you guys not to have corporate jobs and to do your shows and to create all the films and all the the podcasts that you're creating. Only you can do that. Mm -hmm. But if you're sitting there answering all your tweets and it's taking you four hours a day, pay Jordan to do it. Yeah. Right. He'll yeah. do it. Yeah, and, we, and we, we outsourced that years ago. And I think you brought up a really good point with the social media thing. Our friend Matt Diavella, who directed our, our documentary Minimalism that's on Netflix, um, he... Uh, he did this 30-day fast recently. I've been telling him for over a year like uh, that exactly what you just said. Hey, there's very little ROI. Mm -hmm. And th there's 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 some value you can gain from it. Yeah. But if if you're looking at it as the primary driver for your creativity, um, man, that is misspent time. And, and I'll tell you, very recently, since he walked away from social media, he has been killing it, adding yeah. immense value because he's... He's a genius filmmaker. And so he's doing these little five to 10 minute videos on YouTube and they're all getting millions of views. Wow. And, That's great. and it's from walking away from this thing and adding immense value. So ultimately, whatever Johnny's going to do or whatever someone listening to this is going to do, you have to remember that that adding value to people, you, uh, minimalist business is, is people focused, whether it's your customers or clients or readers or viewers or listeners, but also the people you work with and, and being being people focused, creating an outstanding experience for the people you work with, but creating an outstanding uh, quality of whatever you're producing for the people that you know, you're solving their problems. Do you guys find that social media has was bad for you when you were doing it? I mean, social media helps spread the message because, I mean, you know, it turns out Facebook is where a lot of stuff is happening. So mm -hmm. it's it's a great vehicle to use uh, for certain aspects of, of the minimalists uh, to kind of spread, you know, our story, to spread our message. Twitter is more, um, we use it for different reasons. But I think that is what we've done with social media is we will take Twitter, we'll take Facebook, uh, we're on Instagram, and we will use each vehicle uh, deliberately it's not like we it's not like we send out a tweet and then it goes to our Facebook and then it goes to our Instagram yeah each vehicle is used for a, a different reason so I think it does I mean personally I don't have a, a personal Facebook account because that does nothing for me sure um, but as far as the minimalists go I feel like it does add a lot of value to a lot of people and it is a way to, to kind of get our, our word out there I think that so at the beginning of the year we, we took a step back and we were doing just that we realized like the definition of insanity is doing you know the same thing over right. uh, over and over expecting a different result we 
were doing that. We were like posting everything in triplicate where it was like, well, here's our Twitter post. Let's repost that on Facebook and re-repost it on Instagram. I was doing that too. And, yeah. And, <laughs> uh, work. and so at the beginning of the year, uh, Jessica, who runs our, our social media, and she, she's really amazing really talented artist in fact she used to curate like um museums and, and galleries wow. and, and so she's a curator of things and she does a really good job of this and so at the beginning of the year we literally deleted all of our social media i went back to she deleted all the tweets all the instagram photos started with a blank slate and uh and we came up with a new plan like we're only going to use instagram for beautiful photos that will add value to people with like these short captions that ryan and i write uh, facebook is great for sharing links and articles right twitter is great for sharing only text we don't share any links or any photos on twitter and by creating these arbitrary restrictions we've been a lot more creative using those platforms but using those to augment what we're already creating, they're not the main creation. That makes sense. For me, I just found as a creator, it's it sort of started to drain me, especially Instagram, because mm. I was like, oh, I have to make a video now. Oh, wait, it's over a minute. I've got to rewrite it. And I was just like, why am I doing this instead of making a show that people actually care about? Why am I f trying to figure out how to shoehorn my creativity into this format? Mm. And I agree, the formats are important to get the message out, but beyond that, I just didn't want to become an Instagram influencer. Right. I wanted to just <laughs> do the show. And I, I found, surprisingly, YouTube, which I usually hated, is actually really fun. Like what we're doing right now, uh -huh. filming the show and repurposing it this way and having people see how we interact, that's been much more fun but trying to figure out like, hey, quick, speak faster, only we're going to do this as a selfie and then give <laughs> yeah. a quick tip. It's just, it sort of made me tired by uh, 11 a.m. and I didn't want to do anything else. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you're trying to force it, it's definitely going to be, it's going to be tiring. I mean, yeah, the, the other thing with social media too is it can feel like it's productive. Like you can feel like you're doing oh, getting yeah. a lot of work done. Totally. Same thing with email. It's like you can spend, you know, six hours making the perfect Instagram video, catching up on all your emails, putting the perfect tweet out there, crafting the perfect Facebook yeah. message. But at the end of the day, it's like, what did you really get done? Yeah, guilty. Right. Yeah, are, guilty. Are, are you familiar yeah. with our friend? <laughs> I think we Cal all are a little bit. Of course, yeah, yeah. Cal. So he's got yeah. a new book coming out called Digital minimalism i was wondering if you guys are going to jump on that yeah. yeah yeah um and he he's uh i mean uh we've done a few events with him in the past and he's like I mean, he's never been on social media but exactly what ryan's talking about here those things ape the form of productivity so by the end of the day you're like i'm exhausted i did so many tweets <laughs> right. and responded to so many bullshit look at, emails. Look at all these likes i got <laughs> yeah do, do you see how many emails uh, lists i unsubscribed from i'm so productive yeah. and, and that's what it feels like but you're not actually creating the thing you set out to create right. johnny i'd love to send you a copy of our book uh, minimalism live a meaningful life so we talked about aligning your business with your values well in order to do that you need to figure out what your values are so let me see if i got here we go. Here is the book. Podcast Sean, if you could reach out to Johnny, send him an audiobook version of Minimalism. It talks about the uh, the five higher order values, what we call the foundational values in our life, and, and setting those up. Too often, we well, we take actions that we... Well, our everyday actions don't align with the person that we want to become. And so, sure. of course, we, we, we say, well, my health's a priority. My relationships are a priority. You know, contributing to my community, it's definitely a priority. But then you, you list what you've done in the last 24 hours, and I certainly have been guilty of this, and you're like, wow, all the things that I've done 
didn't do anything for my values. Those are actually just lip service priorities. Oh, man. You're, I feel like you you see me. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Well, I, yeah. I mean, we're all that way <laughs> yeah, uh, to, to a certain extent. So mm-hmm. uh, our book, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, uh, we're going to send you a copy of that, Johnny, either the audio book. If you like our podcast, you'll like the audio book. Or if you want the book book or the ebook, we're happy to send those to you as well. Our next question is from Tammy in St. Petersburg, Florida, where we own our coffee shop. Yeah, yeah. I've been simplifying other aspects of my personal life. I really want to be able to carry this over within my business practices as a portrait photographer. Something I've always struggled with is keeping my pricing uncomplicated while still providing myself with the opportunity for potential additional profits that allow me to sustain a quality of life that I desire. It seems that almost everything you see or read out there with regards to marketing and sales advice these days are all about the potential upsell. So to do this within this industry, you generally create different packages, tiers, or add-ons, and this is how you make it happen. But I feel that this starts to overwhelm my clients, and honestly, it kind of overwhelms myself as well. Um, So the easiest thing for me to do would be to give people what they want and in an easy fashion. And with probably 90% of clients wanting digitals, um, charging a fee for my time, artistic skills, and then the digital seems like the logical way to go. But this shoot and burn tactic, as the photography industry lovingly calls it, can make it really hard to sustain a profit because many of my clients, they just don't understand the value of these digital files to us as a photographer. Um, it's basically my original piece of art. Um, they are what I invest my most most of my time on and once the client receives these files they have the option for endless usage and printing rights for their personal use so what I would need to charge in order to allow myself a sustainable quality of life I would probably cause some serious sticker shock to most and probably lose a lot of clients so I guess what I'm asking is do you have any suggestions with how to simplify this sales process for me and still allow myself to make a profit I think ultimately, if I were to rephrase Tammy's question here is, as a business or a business owner, mm-hmm. how do I simplify my pricing in the, in the best way so that I'm making an income mm-hmm. and also I'm adding value to the people around me? And she she talked about some ways with upsells and, and add-ons. We, in, in the corporate world, back in the cell phone days, Ryan, we used to call them bolt-ons. Like, yeah. and In <laughs> fact, Ryan and I were in charge of, of measuring every single day, twice a day, these 29 metrics that our stores were performing on. And so we always had something to beat our employees up with because right. they could be doing really well in 28. And it'd be like, how dare you not sell this product? How dare only 20% of your, your new accounts have text messaging on it? Right. It should be more like 50. <laughs> percent uh, shouldn't it be a hundred percent now I, I mean yeah. I guess now yeah now it <laughs> yeah, should back be. in the day this is before text well, messaging well I think there's big. something else going on here with Tammy too is she is as a photographer and especially in this digital world mm-hmm. it is uh it's very hard to keep your own artistic creations to yourself right. so I, I think there's a little bit of that going on um I mean w- w- I, what I would say when it comes to the 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 intellectual property mm-hmm. if someone if, if I went to a photographer, so mm-hmm. I'm looking at it from the customer standpoint. If I went to a photographer and I asked them to take some portraits of me. Which you have done. I mean, we, we yes. do as the minimalists. Right. So they take the picture of me. 
Um, I paid them to to have the picture. They send me the digitals. Mm-hmm. Those are my digitals that I, I paid the photographer to create for me. Right. And now, if the photographer wants to use, you know, my my portrait in a portfolio or or uh, you know, just to display what she's capable of doing, great. Um, or he, but but you know, ultimately, that photographer doesn't own that. The, the, that photographer can't sell my face to McDonald's and say, "Oh yeah, I got a great picture of a person here that would look great for this campaign that you're looking to do." Right. And 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 I think maybe there's a little bit of that going on. Am, am I am I wrong? Well, yeah, I think so. I, I think okay. sometimes we're very precious. Everything is precious <laughs> yes. to us. Yeah. Totally. Well, I mean, think about your your old business, right? Yeah. One of the reasons you didn't want to let it go because I built this and it right. is precious to me. Well, and then when something becomes too precious, that to me is a sign that I need to maybe not let go, but at least loosen my grip a little bit. That's an interesting point. You know, it's very minimalist to think think that you should let that go, that that's a sign that you should let go. Mm -hmm. Whereas you're right. One of the hardest things of letting go with the old businesses. But what about all those recordings of my voice? As far as I know, I kind of have an unlimited reserve of the ability to talk. And if you ask my <laughs> wife, she'll confirm that. Right? So, like, what's the big deal? Those yeah. things happen in the past. If you're an NBA player mm. and you play a game and you're watching a replay of that game on ESPN 17 or whatever, are you like, that's mine? Yeah. No. You're like, that's a thing that happened that's a good and point. now it's over. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and so the, uh, the, the word complex, the root of that word is complect. And it means to bind two things together. Didn't know that. And, and so right now, she's what she's saying is a lot of photographers they complex their businesses. They make it more complex by having a complex pricing structure. Yeah. And if you want to, the opposite of complex is is singular, simplify. And if you just want, I mean, to me as a customer, let's talk about this, Ryan. So so actually, the the people we started our, our coffee shop with. Uh, Joshua and Sarah Weaver are two really talented photographers. That's how we met them. They did the fo- photos for all of our books. Mm-hmm. And um, and so when we brought them out to do some photos, they were talking about opening this coffee shop. They were both working for like these di- these digital uh, marketing agencies. Sure. And they were like, ah, we're kind of burnt out on this. We want to do our own thing, sh- showcase our own creativity in a different way. And uh, we built a really great relationship with them because they came out to take some photos of us for, for some books. And we, we quickly became friends. So you'll also learn that whatever you're doing might lead to something else when you're, when you're building these relationships with clients. They'll lead to referrals and everything else. But we went to them and they came to us with a price. Here is your price. If you want some photos, you can use them for whatever you want for books, uh, etc. Mm-hmm. And and we got to say yes or no to that price. Right. And they felt like they were getting what they deserved. I mean, they may have felt like their their photog- their photography is worth millions of dollars. I don't sure. know. Right. But the market dictated, here's the price. It's really we're really great photographers. We're going to come out and we're going to do this for 2 days. Here's what we're going to charge you. Yeah, I think really what what you're laying out here, Josh, is that the photographer is very aware of what the subject is going to do with the photos. And there's an agreement worked out between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've got five things written down here. That, I mean, when it comes specifically to the pricing model, like you can basically charge, you can do whatever pricing model you want. Um, A, like you've, if you're adding value to your subjects and, and your work is outstanding, like that's really what's important, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. so so it doesn't really matter like what, what you're charging or what your pricing model looks like. I mean, with, with Sarah and, and, and Josh specifically, 
It's like we went to them because we wanted their creativity because we knew of their work. Mm-hmm. And the pricing was kind of, I mean, it's important. It's something to consider, but we weren't just shopping price. Right. So, and, and, and so if you're just focused on price, it's going to be a race to the bottom. And, yes. And, you don't want those clients. And if you're adverti- right. Yes. Yeah. And if you're advertising price, it's a race to the bottom. And so uh, I think quite often, if you simplify the pricing structure, if you remove this complexity, I mean, one, one, one way that we used to do it in the corporate world, if people do want choices, they don't want unlimited choices, mm-hmm. though, is there's a reason if you walk into a ikea you feel really overwhelmed yeah and 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 so they want you know a good better best perhaps right which is a great approach yeah and and so you you can lay out well here are the three pricing tiers here's what you get for that or maybe you can just go to a client and say here's what i charge here's the and and it includes all of this stuff i don't want to give you any add-ons bolt-ons whatever Mm -hmm. here's what i include in my service yeah and that's that's really the second point that i wrote down as long as your clients understand exactly what your pricing includes again it doesn't if you do a good, better, best, uh, and and let's say that that is totally, uh, you know, not the norm in the photography world, it, that's okay. You can do it differently as long as the your clients, the people coming to you, know exactly what you're charging and what they're getting for what you're charging. The worst thing she talks about the bolt-ons and the, and the upsells and stuff. Nothing pisses me off more. Oh, I was gonna say that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah no. No. I mean, nothing pisses me off more when I go to to buy something and they're like, "Oh yeah. Um. Oh, you wanted. Oh, you wanted to take this home with you. Well, the yeah. the taking it home charge. I gotta charge you an extra fifty dollars. Exactly. I mean, uh, that's yeah. never a good customer experience, yeah. man. Yeah. Having the convenience fee when you buy tickets. Oh, it's right. so irritating. It's look at I as a oh, business yeah. owner. I've and I have photos taken all the time. If you're like, hey, I'm 150 bucks, and another person's like, I'm 350. Let's say for some reason the work looks similar to me. Uh-huh. I will still go. Well, wait a minute. If the 150 dollar photographer is like, oh, but then I have to come to you and I charge per mile, so that's going to end up be 47 dollars. And then, oh, you want to use it commercially? Okay, so that's an additional hundred. If I start having to stack the math together, and then the 350 dollar person's like, oh, you live 20 miles away, not a problem. Yeah, you want the whole day? That's fine. Yeah. Oh, okay. I got to bring an assistant. That I, I will pay him fifty bucks, so I'll charge you fifty bucks. Fine. Mm-hmm. But if I start having to go, let me get the calculator out, and I'm going, oh, it's kind of this that. I don't want to screw with the person who's going to save me fifty bucks, but then maybe there's this other thing I'm not expecting later. Mm-hmm. I'll just pay for the person who told me the one price or the two yes. prices. Because I just don't care enough. You don't want clients that are going to split hairs over fifteen bucks, no. yeah. or even. 150 bucks if they're going to pay you two grand just charge me the full amount i i've paid photographers five grand i've paid photographers 150 bucks Uh there's a difference in quality but if we ignore that fine i still want the guy who's going to go yeah you're getting 100 photos they're all retouched the end i don't want someone who's like each photo's 20 bucks what if i want more than that yeah just simple there's something to be said for the client understanding exactly what they're getting, and that is worth money. Yeah, I think absolutely. You, I think you can differentiate yourself not by being the cheapest. I mean, that's one way to differentiate yourself, but you're Bad going to get to the it. cheap clients right. too. Yeah. And, and the the way, and, and maybe it's fine to do that upfront. You can do free portfolio work upfront, but that's not where Tammy is at this point. No. You can build a portfolio, and you can you can go out of your way to do a bunch of stuff for free to add value to people, which is going to build up your clientele, referrals, etc. Long term, mm-hmm. Ryan and I, the ninety nine percent of what we do. And 99% of what you do, Jordan, is free. Is free. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and in order to do that, you know, we make money elsewhere, whether it's selling books or uh, we have a Patreon, et cetera. But what we, what, what, what the way we differentiate ourselves isn't by being cheaper. We, 
we differentiate ourselves by being better or simpler. And I yeah. think that's what Tammy can do here. Differentiate Definitely. yourself not by being cheaper. Differentiate yourself by being better and simpler than your competition. Absolutely. And, and you know what, man? Just thinking of that $150 photographer versus the $350 photographer. So the $150, they are going to have all these bolt-ons and upsells. Who are you more likely to, to recommend to your friends and family? Yeah. the, the three, Hey, it's 350 bucks and you get and you all get the stuff everything. you're imagining. Yeah. I mean, it, to, to me, it sounds like uh, uh, the bolt-ons, it's just... It's just not. It's not going to generate more business. What you're doing is, is you're you're sucking them in, in with a low price, mm-hmm. and then you're adding all of these things on, and that that yeah. just doesn't create a very good customer experience. The yeah. other thing too, man. Uh, the third thing I've written down is being consistent. Like just consistency is key too. So if you got a good, better, best, and you send me a photographer, and you're like for three hundred fifty bucks, this is what I got, and this is what you're going to get. Well, then you've got a that photographer has to be three fifty for every single person. I mean, people they want when when someone is looking for a service or or um, I, I always say, like, when I go onto a car lot, like, I want to be sold. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's sales is not a nasty thing. It's only nasty when we start looking at, oh, how can we put a dollar on their credit right. card right. without them yeah. expecting it? How, how can we do these bolt-ons um, and sneak those in there? I mean, that is where... Uh, it, that that is where you could you know really kill your reputation and, well, like, and kill your business. It's like what Derek Sivers often talks about when he uh, he did an event with us in, in New Zealand earlier this year, and uh, the thing that he he writes about is good marketing is actually just being considerate. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. And so if we're being considerate to, to the people that we are selling to, so good selling in a way mm-hmm. is being considerate, keeping in mind the needs. What problem are you solving for that person? Well, in Tammy's case, it's easy. This person needs photos. They need high quality photos mm-hmm. and they want to do something with those photos. And then you need to be willing to go to them with your price and charge them whatever you feel your time and your product is worth. Yeah, absolutely, man. And the other thing too is like Tammy, she she, she mentioned like, well, I, the sticker shock is going to drive clients away. Yeah. But the thing is, is like, don't I don't think that should scare Tammy because no. let's say let's say she's seven hundred dollars, she's twice as much as you know someone else. But if if the, the fourth thing I've written down is she can prove to to her clients why she's the photographer they need and actually to, to the, the fifth point that I've written down that she understands the client's needs she can charge whatever she wants exactly so uh, Tammy don't be scared to, to, to put your own pricing matrix out there don't don't be scared uh, scared to go against the the norm of what other uh, photographers are doing um, you, you've just got to make sure that you are being consistent that you are uh, you your clients understand why they want you as a photographer and they want to make sure that you understand their needs if you're doing that I mean that's adding a ton of value yeah like that is how she's gonna be successful this she, time. she's right it's gonna drive some clients away that's the idea mm. you want to drive away the person who's like what I went to Sears and I got photos <laughs> from my kids for $89 what's this all about you want $400 yeah, yeah I'm not the person at Sears. This is better. (laughs) Here's why. And you get digitals and you get this and you get this and you get this. You're not going to get that from Sears. And Mm -hmm. look at what you get. What you get from Sears is layers and your kids leaning on a ladder, right? Like this. (laughs) Like when you do work with me, I come to you, we do this location stuff. It's going to look a lot better. And if they go, "Mm, nah, they don't want your service. They want a commoditized version of photography. I don't know. I can get glamour shots for half the price. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, so back to Derek Sivers again, proudly exclude 99% of people. So you can focus your talents on the 1%. Right. Like you're not selling this book to people who just need something to read. Right. right? This is for people who want to make changes in their lives Mm -hmm. based on whatever the book is about, like getting rid of things or 
decluttering or whatever it happens mm-hmm. to be or clearing their thinking mm-hmm. right yeah. it's not a book i don't need to buy a book to learn how to throw stuff away you probably get that in your inbox <laughs> right, in there, right. right? Yeah. well that's not what the book is about if you want a book on how to throw stuff away or you just want to do it for free go ahead you're not our customer and you have to be okay with it. i that. had someone come up to uh, one of our events in 2014 and they were like you know you guys talked for like two hours up there but aren't you guys really just saying to live intentionally and to to live up to your values and beliefs and i'm like yeah i guess and they're like well why do this whole tour and i'm like i try tweeting that and see <laughs> see yeah. what kind of response you get <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Anything else, Ryan, before we move on past Tammy's question here? Um, uh, what are we going to give Tammy? Uh, let's give her... I'm going to give her two things. We'll give her a copy of our book, Everything That Remains. It's uh, sort of the five-year journey of Ryan and I walking away from the corporate world and walking towards something that did align w- with our values and, and you know, starting The Minimalist. It was, this whole thing was a real beautiful accident. Like I said, I just wanted to be a fiction writer and then mm-hmm. I'd simplified my life. Ryan, Ryan noticed like these changes in my life and, and how I was happier even though like some pretty traumatic events happened in, in my life. My, yeah, I remember. Yeah, my mom died, my marriage ended, right? And so like I started dealing with those through simplifying my life and uh, Ryan was like, oh, that's cool. I'm gonna get rid of all my shit too. <laughs> and uh, and then we started writing like, about good it. Good idea. Yeah. And, so in 2010, the hair though, keep in the hair. Yeah, <laughs> yes, right, right. right. <laughs> Actually, I became a minimalist and grew the hair. Yeah, yeah. and I, I have <laughs> I less hair now. You do. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we all it's, do. It's very strange. All right. <laughs> um, so you know what? I, I I'm going to send Tammy a copy of this book because it talks about like moving away from the perception of how things should be, and moving toward how we want things to be, mm. but also. Podcast, Sean, if you could send her a copy of Derek Sivers book. Yeah. It's a book called Anything You Want. Have you read that book by chance? I haven't read that one. No. It's, it's like it's, 80 something pages. You can read it in an hour. I think the audiobook's actually an hour. Audiobook's okay. like, it might be 45 minutes. <laughs> That's <laughs> good. So I will get good. that. What's it called? It's Any, called Anything, Anything You, you want. want by Derek Sivers. And yeah. it truly is like one of the best, if not the best book I've ever read on business. It's, I like Derek. Yeah. He's a smart he, guy. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, and, and he, it's funny how the whole book's about CD Baby. But uh-huh. like you can every bit of information, every little tip that he gives you that he did with CD Baby, like you can transfer that to any other business pretty much. I feel like the whole book is tweetable. Like he wrote it yeah. in a way that is very zen, but that's that's just how Derek is. Yeah, so, he is kind of like that. <laughs> so Sean, if you could reach out to Tammy, send her a copy of Everything That Remains, either the audiobook or the book book or the ebook, or and uh, send her a or yeah, send her a copy of Anything You Want by Derek Sivers. And of course, if you're listening to this at home or on the treadmill or in your car or wherever you are. Uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say. So if you have a comment or tip about business, including starting your own business, what have you learned? Uh, or advice for any of our callers today, leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. We'll air our favorite comments and tips on a future episode. And stay tuned to the end of this episode for this week's listener comments and tips. It's my favorite part of the show because we just steal people's comments and tips and repurpose them later as our own oh. <laughs> empirical wisdom. I'm just imagining someone calling in right now on a treadmill <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> trying to leave us a question. I was, uh, I was just listening to your podcast. Guys, I run a treadmill business. <laughs> um, all right, Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It is time for our lightning round where we answer questions from social media. Indeed, oh, nice. Indeed we do. <laughs> We're on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Minimalists. Uh, during the lightning round, Jordan, this is where Ryan and I, and now you, okay. we each do our best to answer every question, which is a short shareable less than 140 character response oh man uh <laughs> but don't worry we wander on a bit and then you can we'll, we'll wrap it up with a tweetable bow cool okay yeah, yeah. and so uh you can find all of these we call them minimal maxims uh you can find them in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you like or you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place now over at minimal maxims.com all righty our first lightning round question is from nick 
What's the best way to balance hustle and rest while growing a business? Should you hustle hard from the start so you can relax in the future? Dude, when I was reading this question, I thought it was funny. So when you're an entrepreneur, like, I don't think you ever relax. No, I don't even know what that word means anymore. Oh my God. It's an academic term. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, what's funny, man, is like, I was talking to Mariah about this the other day. I'm like, because I've been having such a hard time sleeping lately. Like I I got the aura ring, like trying to like, you know, trying to track my sleep and get better sleep. And I realized like, there's always this constant pressure on me mm-hmm. for you know us owning our own business now it's a pressure that that i really enjoy having yeah but as an entrepreneur i don't think you could ever truly just like ah sit back and relax i'm always jealous of the nine to fivers i know that sounds weird but i'm like <laughs> wow so you're just went home on friday and right. you didn't look at your email <laughs> at you all just, you just left like yeah you just left your work that's amazing over there oh wow yeah yeah well, i totally and, agree and, but here's the thing when we were in the corporate world we were we weren't nine to fivers although people think that we were like five to niners yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. beyond nine really like it was uh, so the very first thing I did in the morning was check my BlackBerry when sure. I woke up at 4.44 every morning. Hipster. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, well, I would wake up, I'd write for an hour, uh, and then I would start my day. And uh, I, first thing I do, though, is check the BlackBerry and make sure there's no emergencies. And the last thing I did before my head hit the pillow was check the BlackBerry. Sure. And I was checking it every minute, it seemed like, of every day. Mm. And, and you know what? What do I have to show for that? Well, I have some, I, I developed some skills along the way, but also I was developing products and services for someone else that I wasn't necessarily b- benefiting directly from, mm. right? I wasn't building up these assets. I was building up some skills for sure. Yeah. And so I, I had to think about it in, in a way where I was hustling for someone else. Yeah. And I, in a weird way, was being hustled. Yeah, yeah, well, that's for sure true. <laughs> yeah, we so, all were. So, so if I have a pithy answer for this, it is this. Don't confuse hustle with productivity, creativity, or quality. Amen. And if, uh, sec- if I could have a second pithy answer podcast, Sean, for the show notes here, it's say yes until you have to say no. Then say no until you have to say yes. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. No, you guys are so good at this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's talk about both of those things real quick, Jordan. So, so I mean, the, the first thing is, well, we often confuse hustle. The thing we talked about earlier, like I'm, I'm GTD, getting things yeah. done. Mm. But are you really getting things? Are you getting the important things done? Right. Most people aren't. And I'm, I'm just as guilty of this as anyone else. My to-do list. Do you, all right. Here's the sign. If you have a to-do list and you put something on it that you've already done just so you can slide it and cross it off, <laughs> you got a problem, right? You're doing the busy work. And I mm-hmm. I still sometimes catch myself doing this. I'm like, ooh, I did this thing. I better wait. Midway typing, I'm like, delete. It doesn't need to go in there. You know, you're gamifying the system. You're using Todoist or something like that. Right. You got to be really careful with that. If you try to take these big bites. What is that book called? It's like Eat That Frog. Have you heard of this? No. no. Oh, I can't remember who wrote this. It's called Eat That Frog, and it's about doing the important things in the beginning of the day instead of like, well, first I need to make sure I have no emergencies in my inbox, and then I need to make sure that I go and buy tunips, turnips, whatever, mm. at the store, and then I need to feed my cat, and then I'm going to make these calls, and then did a Busy you, work. Right, it's busy yeah. work, and you throw things in the way, and this is a subconscious process where you go... I really need to do the book cover because the designer's waiting for this thing that I got to do and it's bottlenecking this whole project. And you go, but I have all these other things to do because you don't know what you're doing. And I, when I teach networking and relationship development to either special forces or corporate people or whatever, they're always like, oh, it's a low priority. They don't say that, but they indicate it. And the reason is because 
it's a black box. It's like, I don't really know how to do this, but I do know how to tweet and I know how to right. answer Instagram comments and I do know how to craft an email for yeah. my list that doesn't need to go out and I know how to tweak crap on my website. You push things to the bottom that are important because they're harder. Mm -hmm. And so it takes more cognitive ability to do it. Mm -hmm. So you push it to the end of the day and you go, oh, well, I don't have time, but look at all these other things I did today. And you're yeah. depleted. You're, you're depleted, depleted by the end of the day, so you can't even focus on, on right. the, the important thing. And then the saying yes, I mean, first, especially when you're first starting a business, and that, that's why I, I phrase it this way, say yes until you have to say no. Like You can accept all these new opportunities. It's brand new. Eventually, though, you're going to get to a point. I think Ryan and I have done four interviews all year this year and we've said no to hundreds of them yeah. well Sean has said no to hundreds of them <laughs> um, Good job, Sean. and and the reason that we have said no is because we want to focus on what we're creating right now there will be another time where it makes sense for us to go out like we yeah. did in 2014 and, and we'll do have to say yes 400 or it would make sense for us to say yes we don't have to right. do anything but yeah yeah exactly <laughs> right. when does it make sense and so for like Tammy when she had her question earlier Tammy from St. Pete yeah, she might have the opportunity right now to say yes to a bunch of clients at a lower price mm. to build up her clientele, build up her referrals. Mm. But mm -hmm. eventually, she's going to get so many clients, her price is going to go up and she's going to have to start saying no, 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 until it makes sense for her to say yes to the right opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, the dangerous thing is that the 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 social media, the uh, Facebook, the emails, the phone calls, yeah. going and buying turnips, like this can, this can feel like a hustle and you know what actually it might it might even you could consider it a hustle mm -hmm. so uh, here, a worthless hustle right so here, here's here's my pithy answer uh for nick here an entrepreneur needn't focus on hustling as much as adding value yes like that's people always ask like oh man i want to do this one you know so i got this side hustle and i want to really break out and you know you guys are entrepreneurs like wh what's your biggest piece of advice and like our biggest piece of advice is is add value like if you are adding value to people's lives just like we do with 99 percent of our free content people are willing to support you with that 1% of stuff that you charge for. People mm -hmm. are going to find ways to go out of their way and support you. Yes, indeed. All right. Our next question is from Bob. How does one overcome the fear of insecurity of moving from the safety net of guaranteed income to the mentality that they can succeed and survive on one's own? Well, I think oh. we kind of alluded to this. My, my short answer is job security is a misnomer when your security is in someone else's hands. Amen. Mm. And I think quite often, like, so you're on Wall Street and you're like, well, this is this is job security. I've got Great. the job that I want now. But then what happens? The stock market crashes. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, that security you thought you had, that's the rug has been pulled out from under you. And now you're falling because you didn't create that security. It was a sense of false security. Yeah. And the real security comes when you're willing to, to, well, when you're willing to step back and realize I'm going to create my own security first. Sure. I agree with this 100%. I think there is the the illusion of job security in an, in someone else's employee. And the problem that we have is entrepreneurs or business owners were like, yeah, I'm just going to jump and then hope what happens, hope it works out. That's also a bad idea. Yeah. It seems heroic now. Again, Instagram influencers and YouTubers are like, bro, go all in. Quit your job and start a blog. That's right. right. <laughs> but what I what I would advise, because I get this question all the time on the, and you guys are so good at naming things. I had to name my show the Jordan Harbinger Show, which just sounds so sad now. It's just <laughs> well, my hey, name. Hey, the Minimalists.com was available for $7 at the time. Wow. So that's, that's why we're the Minimalists. Fantastic. <laughs> what I always advise is, hey, look, keep the job that you have until and I th said this earlier in the show until you're the bottleneck yeah. and you're not the bottleneck because someone else has to do your social media you're the bottleneck when you 
are the only thing stopping yourself from scaling. And you have to be brutally honest, right. not just like, well, I really hate my job this last month, so maybe I'm the bottleneck now. No, it has to be you're coming home from your job and from 7 p.m. to whenever you fall asleep at the keyboard, you're doing something only you can do. Right. That's when you make the leap. Yeah. And you've got income coming in and it's pretty stable from your side hustle or whatever it is, your entrepreneurial venture. Mm-hmm. Don't quit before that. And that makes this choice so much easier because people, what that, what he's asking is, when do I blindly quit something that's paying the bills oh, yeah. and then just pray to the powers that be that mm-hmm. my new thing starts making money? You don't. The answer right. is you don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Absolutely. So, you know, I guess going from the art of charm to what you're doing now, right? Um, like you, like you had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, like there's, you're making good money, you know, there's, there's this stable source of income. Um, is there any practical, and I got some practical stuff too, but I'm just curious, Jordan, is there any practical stuff that, that you did to ensure like, you know what, I can walk away from this paycheck and I can start something else, uh, and, and, and feel, you know, you're always going to have a little bit of fear, but to alleviate as much fear as possible, I guess. What I did at first, and this was kind of an accidental discovery. What I did at first, it was like step one panic step two (laughs) and but limit your panic to like a couple of days depending on how traumatizing it is Uh, my friend hal elrod who you guys might know he's like you you can feel sorry for yourself for 15 minutes and this is a guy who had cancer i think twice and almost died in a car accident so i'm he can speak credibly on this particular point (laughs) okay i'm gonna have to look this guy up yeah he's amazing i'll introduce you guys cool and uh he wrote this book called the miracle morning it's it's pretty interesting what I did was step one panic, step two, make a list of people that I know will help me. And this list could be a hundred people, but what I did is I started with like 10 or 12 who I knew would not say no. Mm. And the reason I did that is because when you're feeling low, down, out, defeated, whatever it is, you don't want to call people where you're like, hey, can you help me? And they're like, oh, um, I'm really busy because you'll start to feel even worse because yeah. you, you'll see your support network slowly slipping away. Yeah. Call 10 people that day or the next day and you go, look, I'm having a, a really big problem. Can you can you help me? That first dozen people that you call that help you, you start to feel bulletproof. You're like, well, if I've got 12 really good friends behind me, I'll be fine. And this can be your parents, but it's even better if it's not. Right. Because then you're like, oh, okay, it's not just my family who's like, you can do it, honey. Like, thanks, mom. (laughs) You can do it and you're handsome. Yeah, and and you're you're mama's handsome boy. That'll only go so far. But if you call your friends and they're like, yeah, I'm happy to figure out how to help you, that's when you start to go, wait a minute, I have a huge support network. Mm Mm-hmm. And so what I encourage people to do, I call this exercise layoff lifelines because it's like, imagine you get laid off. Who are the 10 or so people you wish you'd kept in touch with? Like oh, your college guidance counselor, ooh, what a great your old friends, perspective, man. right? Like, because if you make that list now yeah. and it's like, oh, you know, I should have kept in touch with Josh and Ryan and I should have kept in touch with my high school guidance counselor and I should have kept in touch with that old boss and I should have kept in touch with these professors that were really good. Make that list now, reach out now because then you don't have an agenda. Because mm-hmm. the problem is people go, oh, it's so awkward to reach out. It's awkward to reach out when you're like, hey, man, haven't talked to you in eight years, so I need a job. Right, so I need help now. My right. house is on fire. Can you come put it out for right. me? Right. It, uh, That's awkward. We're working on our second documentary right now, and on the soundtrack that we're working uh, with uh, Drew and Nate on um, from this band, We... Um, th- there's a song called asking on there and the line is uh, it just man it hit me like it, the and you can't listen to it yet so uh, there's nothing i can give to, for you to listen <laughs> to impossible for but you to hear. but uh the, the line is uh i'm sorry i didn't call 
I've just been busy. Yeah. And like, but when you hear it in a song, especially, like that's the thing. It's it's not like you're setting these people up as I'm going to need to use you someday. No. No. You're setting it up to say, hey, man, I screwed up. I didn't keep in touch exactly. with this relationship. Let mm-hmm. me find a way to repair this. This is something that meant something to me. It doesn't mean that they're going to be your best friend forever now. Mm-hmm. It just means that you're you're repairing or you're reconnecting with this person so that you can have a meaningful relationship with mm-hmm. them. If they need something, you need to be willing to help them out. This mm-hmm. is what a relationship is. There's an us box in every relationship. I'm, I'm giving what I can give and I'm taking what I need. Yeah. Not everything I can take, but taking what I need from the relationship. Yeah, Jordan, I, I, I think uh, I just want to highlight how like when you're going and asking for help it's not even like you're looking for handouts man it's like when when you're asking for help you're looking for support but i think the other thing too is like you all you are also offering support and i think that is how uh you can really make these relationships strong and you you do have people to kind of fall back on i mean it's you know maybe uh Maybe Bob here doesn't have, you know, someone who can offer him a job, but, you know, maybe, maybe Bob has some folks who could, you know, tell their friends and family about, you know, what he's doing or whatever. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's so important to hold on to those good relationships. My, my pithy answer would be this. Uh, it's kind of re, kind of rewrote Josh's. I didn't even realize I did that. It is, uh, betting on an employer rather than yourself guarantees disappointment. Yeah, and, and even though you're being employed, I, I really love what Jordan's saying here. It's very practical. It's not like, well, just uh, quit your job and do what you're, follow your passion. Put yourself yeah. out there. <laughs> <laughs> Best dating advice ever. Just put yourself out there. Uh, oh, that's what I've been doing wrong. Oh. I've been putting myself out there. I've been putting myself in here. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so, like, I, I think that what's true is. Yeah, okay, maybe you don't have job security, but if you're betting yourself even in the job, you're you're going to have better job security in that job. Yes. You yeah. control the mechanisms that are you're able to to control there. Yeah. yeah, every promotion that I got in the corporate world, and I got quite a few. I was by age 27, I was the youngest director in our company's 140-year history, wow. which sounds really impressive un- until you you realize that like, well, I was the the sort of middle manager of who gives a crap, you know. They made like, the director position the week before. <laughs> you're right. All right, you're the director now. <laughs> yeah, and the youngest congrats one. happened to be the oldest one too uh no and and what i what i realized in in that scenario is i never applied for any of the promotions i got i worked hard at adding as much value as i could so that i was the clear person to to pick for the next thing and you can do that now you can pick yourself even if you're working within a corporate structure you're working for a small business or you're working for yourself it's important to pick yourself yeah it absolutely is i mean you know bob you might get fired tomorrow uh, your employer does not look out for you. They look out for the company. Yeah. And to sit there and say, oh, well, I've got this guaranteed source of income. You do not have a guaranteed source of income. You have something consistent that you've gotten maybe over the past months, years, whatever, but there's nothing guaranteed in life, especially your job. Um, I, I, th- I think practic- you know, some practical advice, save up six months worth of bills. Like for me, that is what really gave me uh, the courage to, when I got laid off, well, the way I got laid off is it was a month a month before I got laid off. Um, I asked to speak to my boss and I'm like, hey man, uh, you know about the minimalists and you know that I'm probably not going to be at this company for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about what we're going to do, who we're going to replace me with if I happen to leave. And he was like, oh man, that's a good question. He's like, man, he's like, you've got things running pretty well. He's like, this thing is, it's going pretty well. He's like, I don't, I don't even know if I would need to replace you. 
And I'm like, bad sign. Yeah. Well, for me, it was, it was, I just looked at him. I'm like, huh, that's an interesting thought, isn't yeah. it? <sighs> and then uh, the next month, I get a phone call. Hey, man, uh, I need you to meet me, uh, you know, in room 207 across from HR, oh. where like we've laid off dozens of people before. Like, I, I knew what was coming, but having that conversation with him, and I knew I was planting the seed in his head. And having that conversation with him, I don't think I, I would have had that if I hadn't saved up six months worth of bills. It's not like, you know, I, I was uh, uh, looking at this safety net like, oh man, I can do anything I want because I got six months worth of bills. But what it did do is it gave me confidence to give myself some time, a little bit of a buffer uh, a buffer to, to go out there and find another source of income. So, I mean, just practically, Bob, save up six months worth of bills. That will alleviate a lot of fear. Oh yeah, good point. It, and it's hard to do that because people go, oh, yeah. six months of bills, no problem. Then you start looking at what you're getting, you're mm. buying, and you're like, wait a minute, I yeah. probably don't even <laughs> yeah. need to do well, that. Yeah, yeah, you need to look at the budget and say, I'm actually I'm probably spending way too much right now. If I just yeah. spent less, uh, uh, and I focus on what is truly essential, mm-hmm. what is not essential, and then what's junk in my life, yeah. I can pare, pare down my current bills. And by the way, that six months, that number is going to be a lot smaller. Right. And, and I'm not trying to make this sound simple. I mean, it might take someone six years to save up six months worth of bills, but, but that goal... Of, of having that uh, throughout your work career, like that is, I mean, for me, like I just can't even express how much leverage that gave me um, when I when I wanted to talk to my boss about that. P.S. Gentlemen, we have one more question here from Paul. Paul asks, "What are the first steps to start a business?" We have we have a a, a lawyer here with us today. That's so, right. <laughs> uh, when should I hire an accountant, an attorney, employees, and other professionals to help me manage my business? And if you'd like to hear our answer to that question, you can listen to this week's Postscript episode over at the Minimalist Private Podcast. That's right. Every week we record an additional podcast episode and it's available exclusively to our Patreon supporters. So if you want to support our show and keep this podcast 100% advertisement free, then head on over to theminimalists.com support. In addition to our weekly Postscript episodes, the Minimalist private podcast feed includes our Ask the Minimalist Anything episodes, unreleased recordings of our live events. We just put out our Perth event recently. So you can check that out as well as I think we've done about 15 within the last year. Wow. Live events only for our Patreon supporters. And you can also check out the entire back catalog of past private episodes. Once you become a subscriber, you'll also receive a personal link to our private podcast feed so that it plays in your normal podcast player. You can find all the details and all the good stuff, including an additional podcast episode every week over at theminimalists.com slash support. And here is a snippet from this week's Postscript episode. Look, unless you're doing some sort of service where you could have a problem, right? don't worry about the legal structure just yet. They're, sole proprietor is a thing that kind of just happens. Mm-hmm. And the problem is you don't have a corporate veil to protect you, which, which is fine unless you're like a barber and someone slips on your floor. Then you want insurance. You want to make right. sure you have a corporate structure. But if you're just working from home, solving something for people, you don't really have to worry about that. Get an accountant at the end of the year to help you save on taxes and sure. things like that. But you don't need to have an attorney, an accountant, and have all this corporate structure stuff set up and then spend 10 grand and then be like, cool, now I can start doing business. Right. Start making money first. All right, now it's time for our added value portion of the show. Jordan, this is where 
each of us talk about something that has added value to our lives recently. It can be a, uh, a book or it can be an experience. It can be a physical good uh, because quite often when people think of minimalism, they think of those stark white walls, owning nothing, experiencing yeah. nothing, just being a monk in a cave. But the truth is I get far more value from the few things that I own and the experiences that I, that I have, you know, way more value than, than I used to when everything was precious to me i had to hold on to everything i just figured you guys lived in like the apple store without any of the phones or ipads <laughs> and that's what your houses looked like it's a great idea like a, a, uh who's the architect john paulson who who like i mean if you google search him he's like he, he has the most beautiful aesthetic sort of apartments but like uh, architecture and but it's so stark that yeah. like yeah it's it's not functional you live in yeah. magneto's prison from x-men <laughs> right. everything's floating magnetically above the ground <laughs> you know uh uh so i have a five-year-old daughter and the thing is about five-year-olds that when we moved into a new place we were waiting we waited months to get a couch and she did not notice at all that we didn't have a couch we didn't have a dining room table like just didn't care at all and mm. i think that's sort of the as we get older we we assume we're supposed to have these certain things and i i personally get value from having a couch and having a dining room table but you realize that like man maybe i just i've been sold a bill of goods i'm supposed to have these certain things in order to to make me happy but the truth is there are some things that add value to our lives i'm going to recommend two things uh, that have added value to my life recently. I've got two books here. Uh, since we're talking about business, uh, I'm only six, six chapters into this, but it's Seth Godin's new book. This is marketing. Nice. I'm sure you've seen it. He's been marketing the hell out of it. Um, but uh, this is marketing. That's Here's apropos, 17, right? Thousand tweets about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I'm only six chapters through. But I thought this was this was apropos considering we're talking about business today. But we talked about Derek Sivers and marketing, how marketing is being considerate. Uh, in chapter six, uh, he talks about beyond commodities. And you talked about how we were just selling commodities. We're commodifying stuff. Um, not and you, but people no, in general. No, yeah, not us. Um, well, I mean, we uh, if we're not intentional about it, we can too. And, yeah. and so we always have to step back and saying, is this adding value or am I just trying to squeeze a dollar out of this thing? Uh, so he talks about effective marketers don't begin with a solution with the thing that makes them more clever than everyone else. Instead, we begin with a group we seek to serve, a problem that we seek to solve, and a change that we seek to make. And so that's, I think ultimately, if you were to sum up what we're talking about today is, we're trying to help people solve problems, and that's that's what effective businesses do. That's what a minimalist business would do. But then uh, the other book I want to recommend today is it comes out in January. It's called Company of One by Paul Jarvis. Do you know Paul? I do. Yeah, he listens to my show and he wrote to me, and I was like, oh, this. I love when smart people who wrote books write in. And they're like, I listen to you because it's so validating, right? <laughs> like, oh, good. I'm so well, glad like, you I am it. awesome. Well, yes, <laughs> Paul thinks so. I always knew it. He's <laughs> Mom. He's he's super talented, but this book in particular, uh, I. I wrote a blurb for it and the blurb was effectively like your business can thrive with less he, he talks about responsible growth or the idea of not needing to grow your mm. business maybe your business is big enough or maybe you even have to shrink a business in, in order to grow it effectively Man, going back to johnny's question and, and so we'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. It's called Company of One, but it's a mindset. It's not just about it being an entrepreneur, but if you are an entrepreneur, I think it's a great book for you. But even if you're working for a corporation, he talks about the Company of One mentality of working for yourself, but also doing so with fewer resources. I think this book will help you out a lot. I've got the advanced copy here, but uh, it'll come out in, in January and you all can pre-order it now. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Ryan, what's adding value to your life recently? Well, you know how my sleep sucks. Uh, 
mentioned that earlier in the podcast. Yeah. Uh, Mariah bought this. Um, it's Four Sigmatic Rishi Mushroom Elixir. Yeah, yeah. And it's basically, it aids deep sleep. So I will say, man, like, if, uh, so the, not last night, but the night before, mm-hmm. um, I didn't drink any and I got zero deep sleep. Last night I drank it. I got like 25 minutes of deep sleep. But what I've noted, and that's not the first time I've kind of had that where I forgot to drink it and didn't get any deep sleep. Yeah, Bex uses this stuff too. It really, really does. Like, I mean, it, according to my aura ring, like it definitely makes a difference with my deep sleep. Now, 25 minutes of deep sleep still sucks really bad. But it's yeah. better than zero. Better than zero minutes. Yeah, exactly. So I, w- I would recommend, like if, yeah, if you're looking for another sleep aid, like it's, it's a pretty natural, healthy thing to take. Jordan, what's been adding value to your life recently? It's funny you're talking about sleep aids. I actually got an air purifier. It was from a sponsor, and uh-huh. I thought, like, okay, fine, whatever. It's like a the iPhone of air purifiers. <laughs> I get this thing, and I put it in, and I put it to work, and I'm like, oh, let me check the filter, see what's in here. Oh, my gosh, there's disgusting stuff in the air inside your house. <laughs> oh. You have no idea. And I thought, like, is this a trick? Is, <laughs> is this filter slowly degrading so that it looks like all this crap is in the air? And granted, I live in NorCal, so there's wildfires, but I don't leave my yeah. windows open. Right. It's closed. And I have two cats that don't have any hair. I have hairless cats, so there's not, like, cat hair and pet dander in there. There's just gross crap in the air. And I noticed that my sleep, I track my sleep with Aura and with the Apple Watch and things like that. And my sleep quality has gone up. I've been able to fall asleep better. It's just incredible. The other thing, and I don't know, we're probably only supposed to give one, but this is such an important no. thing for sleep. <laughs> There's this eye mask that I got, and it's like a, almost like a little pillow that straps onto your eyes. And it's very soft, and it has a little cutout for the nose. It's not one of those elastic band ones. Uh-huh. It literally is like a pillow quilted thing that goes all the way across your head. This thing knocks me the heck out. And I'll wake up and go, what time is it? And my wife's like, 7.30. And I'm like, wait, you mean to tell me that I slept through the entire night? I didn't get up 58 times starting at 4 a.m. to like go to the bathroom and then not fall asleep. I just zonked out. And I'll look at my watch and it's like, wow, you slept like a boss last night. We'll, that, we'll get the link from you and we'll put yeah. a link to that in the show do you notes. Know the, do you know the brand of the eye mask? I'm just curious. Like, I, I'm interested now. <laughs> yeah, I'll find it. Okay, cool. I'm so sorry that I don't no, have no like worries. a yeah, we'll, we'll put it It'll in be the in the show notes. Cool. This thing is, it was like 30 bucks and people were like, 30 bucks for an eye mask? You're an idiot. You can get one on an airplane for free. <laughs> this is different. Wow. It doesn't let in any light. I wonder light. if it's the same eye mask that, I'm that thinking we recommend it's no, like it's a blue, blue green. Yeah, blue, it is. Green. It's totally I think it that. Is, I think it's the same one we use. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's yeah. got the Velcro on the back. Yes, yeah. yeah it's that it one. It might be the same one. Yeah. It is. I agree. It's it sort of satin or something. Yes. Yeah, it's that one. Okay, it's so okay. good. Yeah, it we'll put a, a link one. to it in the show. So, yeah. Sean, you already totally have agree. the link to it. That thing uh, is amazing. I don't yeah, know really the is. brand name, but I know that it works really it well. It might not even have a brand name. It might just be like Sleep Mask. It's amazing. I was wearing it last night, so I can attest to it as well. All right, let's move on to right here, right now, where we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. Before we do that, I just want to say thank you to Jordan. Yeah, if you're if you're listening to this, check out the Jordan Harbinger show. Where can they find you on social media? You're at Jordan Harbinger, right? I'm at Jordan Harbinger on all forms of social media. Thank God nobody took that. I looked on. <laughs> I looked. There's no other Jordan Harbinger that I can find anywhere in the world. Wow. Yeah. You're, you're, you're a lucky you're man. The original man. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. But Jordan, awesome. I, I think you're a super talented yeah, uh, interviewer, and thank I'm really you. grateful you decided to spend this. I think this was really informative. It was yeah. fun. Uh, Thanks so much for being here, man. And, Thanks uh, for having me. Christmas is coming up. Uh, when this will this will be out one week before Christmas, and so. 
have you considered buying Jen a brick for Christmas? A brick? Yes. Like an actual brick for a house? Yes. Yeah, so, well, for more like a grocery store. So Ryan and I are from a, 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 a town. A co-op. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> we're, we're from a town called Dayton, Ohio, right? I've heard and, of it. Yeah. <laughs> just right down I-75 yeah. from that's, where you grew up. That's right. And uh, so you're from Michigan, right? Yeah, I am. Yeah. So, so we grew up in Dayton, Ohio, spent the first 31 years of our lives there. And the second largest food desert in the country is on the west side of Dayton. 40% of the city lives in West Dayton, and there is not a single grocery store on the entire west side of Dayton. How is that possible? I know, right? I know, it's, the, it's the, crazy. the last one uh, closed during the, the Great Recession. Uh, so 2008, 2009, uh, the Kroger there closed. And there is not a single grocery store, store there. So people don't have access to healthy food. And so what Ryan and I are doing this holiday season, uh, we're, we are trying to get people to buy bricks on behalf of uh, the, their friends and family. It's the, the gift of contribution. A brick with labor costs about a dollar. Ryan and I are trying to raise the last 100000 dollars to build a grocery co-op we've we've partnered with a, a company called gym city market and it is a is a food co-op it's going to be the only grocery store in west dayton and uh, i think we're over 60 percent of the way there but we need our audience's help so if you do, if you need to do some last minute shopping for gin a brick she loves bricks i'll give her that <laughs> um, you just go to uh the minimalists.com slash brick you can see the video that ryan and i did you can also donate you can buy a brick for each of your friend and family members so spend 20 bucks buy 20 bricks for this co-op and you're doing something really good you're helping provide food for people who don't have access to healthy food i mean they can go to a liquor store and buy some cheetos That's what or people something are doing right yeah I, I used to work in downtown detroit and i was like where do people shop and he goes at the corner store i'm like that place sells booze cigarettes mm -hmm. there's like milk that's five times the yeah. price of milk should be and he goes dude people don't have cars yeah. they have to walk there yeah. Yeah. and i was like how are you getting out of poverty when you're paying five times more than i'm paying at whole foods for yeah. food yeah that's exactly it so we're, we're trying to change that in dayton uh dayton is very similar to detroit in that respect and and we're trying to uh well, we're trying to, to provide an option for people so if you're interested mm -hmm. you want to help out and also by the way people who get this you, you can you can print it out you can put it in an envelope as, as a Christmas gift it's a stocking stuffer everyone will be grateful for that and it's an opportunity that anyone can contribute to I've had so many people say hey all I had was a dollar to, to be able to donate to this so thank you for making it yeah. available for anyone who wants to contribute something so if you want to contribute a dollar great if you want to contribute a thousand dollars great we're, we're really grateful and it's doing something meaningful so head on mm -hmm. over to theminimalists.com slash brick and while you're over at theminimalists.com we also have um uh, well, we have 29 ideas for a debt-free holiday. So, Jordan, I don't know if you know this, but 28% of people are still in debt from last year's Christmas, oh, Christmas gift shopping. Oh, that's so horrible. 28% of people. And then, of course, we're going to go further in, into debt by buying more useless stuff yeah. with money we don't have. We're buying things we people don't want and giving it to them because we feel obligated to do so. So Ryan and I, we went out and we talked to our friends about what are some of the cheap or inexpensive or free experiences or consumables that you can gift for the, the holiday season. So once you've bought all the bricks that you can buy and you want to still contribute to other people, what are the experiences? There's 29 different ideas over at theminimalists.com slash idea. Um, ideas and uh, if you want to comment on this episode you can do so over at youtube.com slash the minimalists also on youtube we're doing quickie episodes of the minimalist podcast we're doing living room conversations where ryan and i answer questions in our living rooms or in our homes and we're doing a house tour soon as well 
Every Sunday at TheMinimalists.com, we uh, will send you an email, some sort of writing, essay, uh, video, etc. If you want to sign up for Simple Sundays, it's just TheMinimalists.com. Enter your email address up there. We'll never send you any spam. We'll never send you any junk or any promo-y stuff, but you will get any new writings that we put out. You'll also get the podcast show notes in your inbox if you're interested in checking out the show notes. Just head on over to TheMinimalists.com. Enter your email address at the top. Ryan, what else you got for us? Man, Jordan, so we live in a meme culture right now man yeah, we do. like we we see a meme and we take it for fact or we see a headline and we're like oh my god like that's and then we start telling all our friends about this crazy headline yeah. and uh lately josh and i we've j- basically been encouraging our readers to uh or i'm sorry our listeners our and viewers our yeah and our readers to really read more to to get a diverse opinion and when they see a headline when they see a meme to really look into it to see whether or not something is is in fact true so um, i'm just gonna leave us with uh with encouraging people to read more and to stay informed. Oh, and you know what? I got some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Check them out. Hey, Josh and Ryan. This is Sarah from Dahlonega, Georgia. I was just calling about your cities episode a few weeks back. Um, And I just wanted to say that if life takes you to a city that you think you're going to hate, you may find out that you absolutely love it. Personally, I was in a long-distance relationship for three years, and the only way my wife and I could figure out how to be together was for me to move to the small town of Dahlonega in northeast Georgia, and I am originally from Houston, Texas, and I thought I would absolutely hate living in a small town two hours away from a big city, that I would miss all of my amenities, and to be honest, I was kind of miserable for the first three months until I started to allow myself to enjoy the beauty of a small town and living in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains and being able to enjoy enjoy new amenities and things that I never thought that I would enjoy. I never want to live in a city again. I've lost 40 pounds. I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. And I just wanted to say that if for some reason you find yourself somewhere you don't think you'll like, look for things you might like because it might just change your idea of what the perfect living situation is for you. Hey guys, this is Chris from Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina. I'm calling in regards to the Upgrades podcast, uh, Podcast 162. Uh, I didn't hear it on the podcast itself, but I am, or I was rather, forever in the state of trying to upgrade my job until recently and uh would like to address that a little bit i just uh wanted to say that there are ways that you can either find a way to be okay with your job not uh feel prey to ambition or fall prey to ambition but rather to be okay with where you're at maybe Find a way to upgrade your salary without upgrading your job or find a way to upgrade your money situation by taking a side job or looking into things that you like to do that could bring in some side income. And perhaps that side income can grow and scale into something that's a little bit more lucrative. And before long, you're doing the thing that you like to do full time and making a living at it. 
Hi guys, it's Sally from Australia Calling. Uh, just a recommendation for Christmas gift giving that I've borrowed from Rebecca Lavoy from the fantastic podcast Mum and Dad are Fighting. Uh, she calls it Treasures from the Attic and it's a Kris Kringle type of setup where each uh, family member selects another family member. But rather than purchasing a gift, you need to consider something that you already own that you feel that the other person would like as a gift. And then you choose a household item to wrap that gift. You're not allowed to buy wrapping paper, so you could use newspaper or tin foil or something around the house. Uh, we did this with our five, um, sorry, our three kids last year, and we gave them full responsibility for selecting their gift and wrapping it. They were aged 11, 8 and 5. And they've really loved it and asked to do it again this year. Um, last year we received things like books and jewellery. Uh, someone received some tools, um, notepaper. It was really nice. This year uh, I'll be getting my six-year-old son the experience of using my clawfoot bath, uh, something that I usually determine as completely off-limits to my children. Um, so yeah, it's a, I thought it was a great idea and it's been the most memorable and enjoyable gift giving experience in our family. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalists or a comment, give us a call, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. And if you leave here with just one message, oh, well, two things, actually. Jordan, thank you so much once again for Thanks being for here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate man. it. You're really awesome, grateful. Dude. And if you all leave here today with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have you gotta reach for and you gotta grab oh i bet that you'll be fine without it so tear your eyes away or tear